What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, Jeremy here from the Turn Me On podcast, and uh, I am—I'm alive. I'm not dead, so that's nice. Um, I'm here alone uh, by my lonesome in Halifax, and uh, haven't seen Bride for for a while. Uh, she's been living on Prince Edward Prince Edward Island, as some of you may have heard, working on a movie and being productive and sending me daily photos of our lovely and goofy goober of a dog, Bigby. And uh, I miss her very much. And, you know, I, some of you also might know I was in the hospital for a little while there. Um, so it was really hard for us to, um, to record anything together r- remotely, um, mostly because the hospital didn't have internet strong enough to even really stream anything on Netflix. Um, so, so this will be the last episode, I believe, uh, where it will, we will not have our normal kind of foreplay. Uh, but having said that, I'm very excited to throw it into a conversation that we had, uh, not too long ago, Brady and I in Montreal in a hotel room with a dear, dear, uh, friend of ours, 
Frank. And Frank's been a part of my life for, I would say, the last uh, eight years. He's been a part of Bridie's life for um, more years than that. And Frank's a, a really important human in our lives, and we love him very much. And we had just a, a wonderful, wonderful conversation exploring um, love, polyamory, age with sex, and um, uh, cancer, and yeah, I just, I fucking love it. And this may be one of my favorite conversations we've had um, on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And uh, Bridie, if you're listening to this, I love you very much. And I can't wait for you to be home. And for everybody else out there listening to this, I love you very much. And I can't wait for you to get home to whoever it is you're going home to. Okay. Uh, hope you enjoy this week's episode. Love you all. And we'll see you on the other side. You know, I'm way behind in catching up, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. So, in... in Where are you at? How, oh, how God, far back? It's at least, like, just before the summer. Okay. Right? But the, one of the more recent ones that I had just covered, I don't even know what you were talking about, but you mentioned getting a shot up to the perineum and, like, how <gasps> crazy that would be or something. Like, you just couldn't imagine it. I don't know why you've mentioned it. I wonder. And like a needle? I was like... Dude, like I a needle in the asshole? No, in the perineum. Oh, in the perineum. In the oh, maybe I was talking about... Al- no, God, would I be I forget talking why about Albert were- Fish? I've been listening to a lot of a lot of serial killer shit, and Albert Fish was just like ramming needles up his taint. Oh, well, I, it's done. Oh, wait, you had a needle up the taint? Yeah, because they had to put a little biogel between the rectum and the prostate so that the oh rectum doesn't get fried by the radiation. Oh, my God, Fred. Dude. Something up me or the sonogram sonogram is that the, like the thing to make a they can visualize up your butt and then this needle like that big like through the perineum so that it can and they use the sonogram which is in your asshole to guide it to put the gel in the right space. Jesus, it's called fuck. space ore. Oh my god! Do you have to do that every time you get radiation? No, no, no. It's just one well, time. it's done once before, and it, and it takes months. Like it's biodegradable, right? So but, you yeah. just had it up in there. Yeah, I probably you, still have a little bit left. <laughs> what was the? Did it feel like pressure? What was the sensation? Once it was done, or while they're doing while it? while they're doing it, um, pressure. Uh, the, the thing up my ass. It was weird because I've had I've had things up my ass. Yeah, <laughs> this. Felt like maybe it's further than anything's ever gone up my ass. Whoa. And it really was kind of a little painful, but more pressure. But then when the needle went in, I was, thankfully, I have this practice, right? Because I'm like using the breath and all that. So the whole procedure took about 12 minutes. In that 12 minutes, there were two moments only of like, whoa, fuck, real, real pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like real acute. Real, real and, sharp and And like short. They're, they're giving you nitrous oxide to supposedly make you, but like, I think they actually had the, the, the mix wrong. So I'm breathing pure oxygen or something because yeah. like, I was not <laughs> high at all. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Holy shit. Okay. So, all right. Well, how would Jeremy this? does not like needles at all or anything to do with like really the inside yeah. of his How about body. two needles in your abdomen at the same time where they have to keep it in for 90 seconds? See, okay, now here's the thing, is I have an issue with needles, but I have an issue with 
intravenous ne- needles. Oh, so do I. Yeah, I hate that's getting like a, a, one of those. What are they called? Like an IV. Or, I hate that. I I have a, like a full on yeah. panic attack, like panic inducing phobia. I got to fifty nine years old without ever having an IV, and then like f- IV, you know, and like and I've had just, it several. Yeah, now. it's the worst. I hate, I hate it. The idea of having needles in my abdomen, I would, I'd sign up for that to like <laughs> avoid. Having a single needle, yeah, uh. in my in my IV, in my arm. <laughs> anyway, um, I think okay. So so I I maybe we should preface this episode with a little bit of like um, maybe like a little bit of history because we are first of all we're we're here in Montreal one night only, uh, very like short brief time here in Montreal, which is kind of exciting and, and always fun. You and I, Bridie, we're going up to a. A big 15-year anniversary party for the the formerly known as Moksha, but now known as Moto, um, uh, 15-year anniversary, uh, where a whole bunch of members from the community are going to come together. We're going to get together at this, like, s- summer camp. Camp, yeah. Yeah, like, like Wet Hot American summer <clears throat> summer camp type <laughs> setup. It's going to be exactly like that. And I uh, brought my hot pants. I hope you did, too. Yeah, and, uh, and so we're going to have a great time, and then we're heading off to Ottawa for our live show. But we happen to be in town at the same time as Frank, who is also going to be attending the 15-year anniversary party. Yeah. yeah. Because Frank, you uh, have been a massive part of the moto community for, for a long time. I don't know about your training, Bridie, but I did my teacher training where I met Taylor in Brazil mm-hmm. in 2011, and you were there. Mm-hmm. And, and I did my training in, in Thailand. Thailand in 2006, yeah. and you were there. I actually remember, like, that was when I met you, and, and it was a challenging time for you. Yeah. And I did an Reiki Ayurvedic little treatment yeah. on you. Yeah. Yeah, I was having migraines because of the, uh, the heat, yeah, the humidity. That was, that was a rough place. It was a rough <laughs> place, we, and we never went back there again. I mean, yeah. it sounds like heaven, but I guess... Uh, it, it, it was, I mean, I showed up with zero expectations because mm. I was like... 21 I'd never really traveled and so I was like well I don't know everybody's complaining about something bugs or <laughs> yeah cats wandering through your house or whatever but I I don't know I kind of yeah. liked it except for the migraines when we took the bus taxi to the yeah. island the guy dropped us off on the wrong beach about 40 meters from the water so, uh, the, the beach itself so we're getting out I've got my laptop and all that holding over my head water's up to my chest and I was the only guy, and all the other people were like women, right? Mm. And it was like the absolute wildest wet T-shirt contest. And we get to the beach, and it's like, mm. so where is it? And it wasn't there. We had to like hike through the jungle. To oh get, my god, yeah, it was oh ridiculous. Yeah, my that's god. That's, a, that's one way to start off. Yoga <laughs> yeah, it's um, more like Survivor, really. Uh, Frank and you, you have been the you know the the. The, the way you've been involved in the moto community is that you would attend the teacher trainings and teach the mindfulness uh, portion of the, the training. The training, you know, it's, it's like a one-month intensive that's broken down into several different units that you learn. And um, so you're, you know, the, the, a, a good chunk of your life for the last X amount of years has been dedicated to the practice and the study of of mindfulness from what which yeah. tradition what's the well you know I, I i first became involved with it like 43 years ago 43 years how old are you now i'm gonna be 63 in 17 days 
Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Wild. Will I be the oldest guy on the show? I, <laughs> you're, you're, you might be competing for the oldest person <laughs> we've had on the show. I think we, yeah. we had, um, uh, I don't remember what his pseudonym was, but uh, oh, that yeah. sweet, sweet gentleman who loves the heels. Uh-huh. Loves the, yeah, totally. That uh-huh. Early on, early yes. days. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, so um, so in my life, I've studied Zen. I studied uh, and practiced in the Theravadan insight meditation tradition. But um, I, I practiced with Thich Nhat Hanh for about 12 years and was ordained by him <laughs> into the Tian Hip, uh, Kip Hin order. And then in 2000, I started studying with uh, Samu Sinim, who's a Korean Zen master. And he ordained me as, uh, it's called Bupsa, which means Dharma teacher in Korean, in 2007 in Toronto. Oh, wow. Yeah, Ted and uh, Ted and Haro were both there at the ordination. And... Uh, so that's really my, my foundation, that Zen thing, but I've really done a lot of work with the Theravadan um, mindfulness is called Satipatthana, and it's a lot more evolved and involved than what usually people think of as mindfulness. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess for the, for the listeners, like, so, you know, we've now known you for a while, and, uh, and I believe when, when you and I had met, you were, you were in a relationship uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, maybe married at that point. Oh, I was married. I you think were? like in at Brazil, what year was that again? 2011. Yeah. Giovanna was about one year old. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so, so that was, that was, uh, 2011. That was almost, that was eight years ago. Um, but then fast forward, you know, time happens, life happens. We start this podcast you go through a divorce mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I remember like, I haven't seen Frank hadn't heard from Frank and for a long, for a long time. And something like came up on Facebook or, or maybe reached out to us, but it was like, Hey guys, like I'm, I, I've like stumbled into the poly community. <laughs> this is a whole yeah. new part of my life. And I was like, Whoa, what Frank's all right. What's yeah. going on? This is so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Actually it's really funny because in retrospect, what I realized is that I would probably have identified as solo poly, like most of my life. Ooh. And and then someone posted recently, uh, we've got a very active polyam community in Tucson. Um, ambi-amory or something like I could I could do monogamy successfully. I was like right. monogamous with Monica for twelve years. But between, and I've had other monogamous relationships, but between each one, I've been what now I would refer to as solo poly, you know, like having relationships with multiple people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so since Monica and I broke up, um, I've been pretty much more in, in that poly mode. <laughs> and how did you stumble into that? Like, you know, like how did you, um, how did you, how did you find the vocabulary or like, or stumble into that that label that that you kind of identified with with solo poly, uh, both reading and and like like I said, the community is pretty strong there. So we have these like monthly um, happy hours, and then less frequently, but we also have these potlucks. And um, it's funny this being Tucson. There's two major communities, right? So I went to one because I wanted to connect with people, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they were really sweet people, but a lot of the guys were talking about their gun collection and things like that. And I was like, hmm. And right. then I, <laughs> Tucson, Arizona. Right. That, that makes sense. And then I went to this other community, and um, 
Well, before we do the potluck and everything else, we're going to like have introductions, you know, tell your name and what pronouns you like to use. And it was like, oh, this is definitely more comfortable for me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh And um, then we would like that first one I ever went to was like the theme for discussion was expectations, you know. And, And then afterwards, we just have a potluck party and hang out, you know. And so through all that, um, I guess I was describing my experience and they go, oh, well, like you were kind of like solo poly. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? There are so many things oh. that fall under the umbrella of poly or open. Yeah, yeah or just like, you know, non-monogamy. ethical non-monogamy. Yeah. I remember yeah. we went to a workshop at South by Southwest and it was, uh, who was leading it? It was... Um, the guy who wrote Sex at Dawn, Christopher yeah. Ryan. Uh, Christopher Ryan at the, and this... Woman who runs the she runs a festival in like Europe. Yeah, it was a couple of other people. Christopher Ryan was the one that we went for, but I remember they brought up this like Im- this image, flow chart, this float, yeah, flow chart of like non-monogamy, and it looked like just a bowl of spaghetti. Like it was so detailed and so many branches of the. It looked like what I would imagine the flowchart of like the the storyline for Game of Thrones would have looked like, yeah. you know, in George R. R. Martin's head. <laughs> totally. Even before it was put on paper. Um, so that, would you have found um, that, because a lot of those, I feel like a lot of those <laughs> writings, a lot of those books, like you said you read, you were, you were doing some reading on it? Yeah. What, were yeah. they like the classic ones that everyone... Yeah, you know, there was, I guess, more than two, obviously, Ethical Slut. Um, Tristan Tamarino, yeah. is that a, like her her book or What's, their book? Yeah. I'm not sure pronoun is, is used. I listen to her podcast sometimes. Yeah, podcast sometimes. that's a really good one. Opening Up, I think it's called. Oh, okay. And uh, there was this, there's this little one um, that was an e-book originally, and then they also put it out as a paper book, um, something like, what I wish I knew about polyamory or something because before I fracked it up or something, you yeah. know? Mm. And so I was just reading them and then I found out, uh, I, I guess there was a lecture, um, lessons from polyamory. And I liked the way it was described because it was like saying whatever kind of relationship, even if you're monogamous, there are things that you need to be doing in a polyamorous relationship that would support and help a monogamous relationship, you know? And it's like, well, that's cool. I'll check it out. And that's how I met uh, people from that community. Yeah. My, uh, uh, you, you were saying that you, you listen to the podcast and you're, you're kind of like catching up. Um, uh, so you, you probably haven't come across it, but we did an episode not too long ago with, with our moms and my mom just recently got divorced from my dad. And a big part of like that conversation, I was really curious to know, like you've, you've been in this one relationship for you know the majority of your entire life you're now sh- like spit out onto the dating scene and i know it's not the case for you because you've you've been through a number of relationships but as uh, as as a man in your late 50s becoming single again what was that experience like that was bizarre because yeah. obviously um there wasn't there weren't all these apps yes right uh, I, I met Monica in Zen training, and actually I was married at the time to someone else, and um, we just you know fell in love, and one thing led to the other. But um, and so then when when we broke up, I was like, how do you meet people? You know, it's like I don't think anybody's going to want a guy who's I guess I was at fifty eight or fifty nine 
with a, at that time, I guess she was five, literally five years old, Giovanna, right? Mm. Like what woman, especially my age, is going to be interested in going out with someone who's got this little kid because they've, if they've had kids, they're, they're out and they want to sow their seeds, you know, and all that. And uh, so, um, so yeah, I was kind of like intimidated and really worried. And that might be why some of the first people I was dating were like half my age. Right, sure. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I mean, since, and, and then I got on Tinder and, um, oh God, other big one. Bumble? No. Hinge? Uh, oh, oh. Kettle of fish. Wait. Plenty? Uh, <laughs> ah, field? No, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot. It doesn't really work for me in Tucson anyway, so it doesn't matter. We don't have to mention it. I tried to like na- slam them all out there. Where, where are they? <laughs> There's field, Bumble, Hinge, Tinder. Uh, I, you lo- like, I know Tinder. That's it. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the one that I, you know, the only one I've ever really met anybody through. Right. Uh, but it's still it's really different culturally like where i am in tucson like when i was when i was 24 i was dating two women who were double my age or or more like one woman was i think 49 and the other one was 52 right so when you were in your early tw- i was 20s? 24 yeah wow yeah one of them was my mother's colleague at work <laughs> oh my god frank <laughs> Yeah, I how remember. did that? Well, hold on, how, oh, don't don't just gloss over that. How did that happen? Um, you just went to like your mom's work. It was like bring your bring your your twenty four year old to work day, and you're like, hey, Mom, you're- I think she she came over to our house for dinner, and uh, we went out for a walk, and then started making out. You know, and then as you do, as you do with as, your mom's friend, right? Last night we spoke to someone who did the, that exact yeah, thing. She was like, I went yeah. out for a walk, and now I'm fucking this the, guy. The yeah. coolest thing is, I remember I took her to see Perubu, which is like um, they, they were late list, you know, kind of lumped in with the whole Cleveland punk uh, scene, I guess, you know, or Cincinnati, wherever, somewhere in Ohio. Ohio. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, I'm really hot shit, you know. And people were definitely looking. She was beautiful mm-hmm. and she was the one who was like 49 and like it was obvious you know the, the age difference between us because at 24 I looked I was still getting carded right sure. you know yeah. I was pretty young looking at the time and I just felt like such hot shit oh, of you know you <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so funny that's a that's a, li- that's a lifetime of of dating ago oh yeah yeah um it was funny too at the time because I had the, the the two women who were older than me, and then I was also dating someone who was 19. So it was pretty widespread. Yeah. See what I mean? Solo poly. They all knew about each other. Right. You know. I, but we didn't I, have that term back then, I guess. You know? I have a feeling that you you also might just be one of those people that that um, that sort of like attracts individuals to you. I mean, like, I don't know if I don't know if this is true or not. I'm I'm really just making an assumption, but I I I kind of just like have that notion that like oh, Frank just probably well I mean fuck you walked in here tell us what you what you said when you first <laughs> walked in here today this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about <laughs> I I got here and I really had to pee so I went into Starbucks and I'm waiting and waiting I hear that I hear that hand fan right and I'm thinking all right why isn't this person out yet you know and then I hear the toilet flush and then the door opens. And this young man walks out, and as I go to walk in, he goes, hey, do you want to have sex? And I, I, I thought I heard him say that correctly, but I wanted to be sure, so I said, excuse me? And he goes, you want to have sex in the bathroom? 
I said, well, thank you, but I, I really have to know, pee. Thank you. <laughs> Starbucks of all places. Yeah. I mean, that, well, you know, I've never, I've never had that happen to me. I don't know. Maybe but I'm on the other hand, the, come on, I, I listen to your show and it's like, wait, you're having all this fun sex, these, all these great clubs that I hear about in, in like Halifax, which is so small, right? And like in Toronto, you talked about some of the clubs in Toronto. In Tucson, there's nothing except a dungeon, and I'm not, I'm not into that, right? Yeah. So, and then one woman I was dating and I went up to Phoenix, and the sex club up there was like gross, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. What a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I'm not going to say the sex club in Halifax is uh, gross. I'm not going to say it's not gross. It's What's not the sex club in Halifax. The torpedoes. Remember, oh, remember, like, um, oh yeah, like the ORG. I don't know what they call it. They call it ORG now. It's not nightshade. It, uh, no, no, nightshade is the parties. It used to be called oh spa night, but now it's called ORG. Okay. But we we okay. only went once, and I like it was just, it's it's too small. It really is too small. That was that was the reason why I've never gone back because it, like there's a there's a a lack of say the word for me because I can't say it. Anonymity. An- yeah, you just said it. Anonymity. Yeah. An- anonymity? Yeah. Fuck, that's the first time in my goddamn life I've ever said that. I don't think word. I could say it at all. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just a lack of like, y- you don't feel anonymous. You feel like everyone, hmm. because everyone does fucking know you. It's yeah. a really small community. There's something about when you're in Toronto and you go to like Oasis, well, you don't know anyone hmm. and no one knows you and there's, you, you kind of feel like you feel a little that feeling of being transient is there's something sexy about that and mm. something that I at least for me that yeah. like allows me to like be a little more um, unhinged a little more like uh, willing to explore unhinged, unhinged maybe <laughs> sounds a little fucking aggressive but like you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I wish I had known about that. In t- like, I spent so much time in Toronto when I, you know, yeah. single and, I, and younger. I would have been really nice. I think Oasis yeah. has been there for, like, wow. years. But the point I brought that up is, like, it sounds like, wow, they have a lot of sex up there in Canada, you know? And so, like, when I walked out, I was like, well, I guess it's Montreal. It's Canada, you know? <laughs> yeah. People do yeah, this. Right. <laughs> I walked, uh, I was walking around out here, and I walked by this place. It's a gym now. And I was like, that used to be the strip club and I that was the first strip club I've ever been in I just look at it with all its big pictures of people working out it's like very different different times that's what we should do tonight we should go to a, a strip club go see some uh, some dancing <sighs> I'm not we got some no. stripper friends here in town we should go see <laughs> we should see if uh, see if any of them are dancing yeah yeah alright well I'm not close to the idea but I go to, my bedtime's 8 so if you can find uh, something yeah I'll, I was just gonna say I'll text Steffi but I'm pretty sure she, she won't should be dancing at like 1 to Five. Yeah, I'll be asleep. <coughs> Frank, I have a memory of you from training. Um, so 2006 is a number of years ago now, and I was, you know, I've had a lot of memories since then. But there's a few th- moments I remember that this moment of of you giving me a treatment for my um, for my migraines, and I, I was just really unwell. But there was something you said when you were teaching us about sitting with like the anguish of a breakup. Mm. And you told a story about like having to sit with those feelings and it really like I think about it. I can't tell you how often I think about it when I'm feeling jealousy or I'm feeling like anger and my, you know, my partner is the makes me angrier than anybody else on the planet. Um, And I only have to manage my feelings as hard as I have to try in those moments 
Anyway, I just want to tell you that because I, uh-huh. I think about it a lot. Maybe. Yeah, I can... actually, I remember writing about that in my book. That was, I was engaged to someone and the engagement broke up. And there was, uh, there, what was behind that too is like we had been doing couples therapy. And like, I was like, I don't think I'm so out of touch and so unselfconscious. But what she, and I would say this to the therapist, what she just said now, I feel like she's looking right past me to her previous boyfriend because I don't recognize myself at all. And then she left me and of course she ended up going back to him. And that didn't last either. But like, so there was anger, there was betrayal and the grief, right? And um, I just, it was the first time I ever did anything like this where I just sat in front of my altar and I think it took about six hours and I went through layer after layer. And then when the tears came, it was, it was like, oh, this is what the Buddha meant by dukkha. This is, this is shit. This sucks. And it's part of this. It's not because you're broken or that you didn't get the manual about how to get through life without suffering. This is life, you know? And it's not just personal, but I felt a kind of sense of solidarity with like all, I was like, how many people right now are having heartbreak? You know, 7 billion people in the world, it's gotta be like hundreds of thousands. Mm. if not millions, right? And so like, it, it was a major thing, but I want to flash forward. When Monica and I broke up, I could not do that. It was so overwhelming. And what I, I share now with a lot of students is like, there's also such a thing as mindful distraction. You know, like I couldn't sit with the grieving and the, and the anger and, and all that. So I did some concentration practice, which is more suppressive. But I also picked up the phone and asked some friends if they would like, go out to a movie and a couple of drinks. And then when I came back, I could sit with it, you know, so. That's right. We get a lot of people who write in and ask us for advice. And jealousy is a huge one. Mm. And I, I think about that. I, th- I think about that moment again, like I said, um, when, I'm, when we're responding to those because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't. It does. It's not that it, you you tra- necessarily train yourself out of feeling these things. No, no, I don't. I think anybody who thinks that they can do that is just fooling themselves. The thing that's really interesting that I experienced around jealousy um, after Monica and I broke up and all that is, I was um, at one point involved in a relationship in a triad with a woman and her husband, right, and had no je- jealousy about that at all. But she also had a boyfriend, right? And we had been dating and seeing each other for a couple of weeks before she went on a date with her boyfriend. They were not as serious, you know. And I had jealousy over that. So interesting. Which is really weird, right? It was like not on the husband, but like the boyfriend. And then we had one of those uh, happy hours, and I got to meet him. And in a moment, it was like I meet him, and I was like, wait a second. If we just found out that we both really appreciated or loved Nick Cave, I wouldn't be jealous. It would be a, something mm. we could be bonded by, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you, you like this woman like I do, you know? And so it became a bond. And I, uh, it just happened spontaneously. It was what, really cool. Did, that's a, a really cool way of, of looking at it. Uh, d- did you make that connection then and there? Or did it take some reflection afterwards to be like, Oh yeah, it's 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 no different than us realizing that we love the same band or us realizing that we love I'll, the same band. I remember it was in the Hotel Congress at the bar and as soon as I saw him I went to shake his hand and he was a face, he was a person. I was up until that point, mm-hmm. you know, I was going on a date with X, you know, and mm-hmm. I was like, ah, you know. And 
so he's a real guy. And I was like, oh, we both really love this woman. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? It yeah. is really, there is something very, very, uh, I think, powerful about actually putting a face to the the name. Because like, I remember, I remember the first time I ever saw Todd's face. Up to that moment, everything before then, in my head, I was like, I don't know how I fucking feel about this guy. I don't know how I feel about this Todd guy. And then we go out for a step, like a, we have a staff meeting, like with our boss, like our, our, our studio owner back in Halifax. And we're, we're having like a meeting about some sort of workshop we were putting on or something. And we were at a cafe. And I don't know if you, if like it was just. Yeah, we were by, meeting up. It was our second date. Oh, so, okay. So it wasn't by happenstance. No. Like Todd knew you were there. So yeah. he came and when he walked in. I, I think I don't I don't think I realized that Todd was coming and then I think you like you kind of like laid it on me a little bit last minute and then he walks in and I go is that him and then you're like Todd's here that's Todd and I looked at him and I was like oh, oh I don't feel I don't feel the same way that I felt about you in my head <laughs> now that I see you and your like I see your face mm-hmm. and then I think like I came to you know I didn't want to like intrude or anything I didn't want to like go have a conversation with him, but I, I needed to come get the keys or something. I left there and you guys had already sat down and you had your little place. And I said, hello, I'm Jeremy. And I shook his hand and he's like, Hey, I'm Todd. Shook my hand. And, and I was like, all right. And then I left and there was a part of me that was like, God, that felt really good. It felt yeah. really nice to, to like see that person. But I didn't, I, I didn't, ha- I didn't have a way of, of wrapping my head around why or, or, you know, what, what was the difference between him in my head versus him in real life? Mm. And I wonder if I had that, if I had that sort of notion in my head of like, of what you just said, of seeing someone mm. who appreciates the same thing that I appreciate in the same like loving and caring way that, that I, you know, it's mm-hmm. like with your favorite band, you just want everybody to love your favorite yeah, band. Exactly. You don't like want to hold it to yourself. No, you know? you're, yeah. You're just like, you want I, I can't like get over Orville Peck. I need everyone to know about Orville yeah. Peck. I just started listening to his stuff and it's so cool. And like, mm-hmm. I know you say you don't like country, but trust me, this is a country <laughs> that you'll love. Like that shit. Yeah. If you it, did that about me. And that, <laughs> in that moment with Don. <laughs> Isn't she great? Look at her. I mean, she's amazing. You don't, you like her, right? You like her? I love her too. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said, Frank, you don't, you don't want to hold them it to yourself because I'm sitting here with two guys and I feel like how come no one's talking about possessiveness because isn't that what that is like where where you don't like for me I hear a lot that that like um often women will will be a little less possessive and then the, and then the and then their partners get really uncomfortable mm. really it's a possessiveness I I thought but maybe mm. I'm just making that up well yeah. may, i mean may, you know i think i think there i think it depends on the every every, every person case every case is completely different mm. you know um, and i think that's you know like that if there's a real like now like if i end up getting involved in another i'm like because i'm ambi amory or whatever it's called i could foresee if like i'm i fall in love with someone who wants to be monogamous i can do that you know and what i've learned though through this, this last few years is 
to be more alert to the trap that monogamy can create of that kind of ownership or possessiveness, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, like, in a, in a weird way, like, again, new term for me in the last few years, uh, I might be a kind of uh, relationship anarchist now because I really want to respect both my autonomy and a, a lover's autonomy, you know? Um, and I see that it's possible now because I've had this polyamorous experience, you know? Um, but I, I definitely got into that kind of possessiveness with Monica. Turn Me On will be right back after this word from our sponsors. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you think that that and I, I don't, I'm going to see if I can figure out how to word this in a way that it makes sense out, outside of my head. But do you think that if you, do you think that if you started seeing someone who this particular person really felt strongly like that, I, you know what? I'm not, I'm not poly. I'm not open. I, I like the, the whole non-monogamy thing doesn't really jive with me. I, I feel more inclined to be, to be monogamous. And you're really like super in love and you go, okay, I want to make this work. And then you get into that. And then like later down the road, they Mm. start to realize, you know what? Maybe I am kind of like open to it. Do you think that you would, do you think that those traps would sort of, uh, grip onto you because you've sort of shifted the, that's actually really good because I've had that experience. Mm. Like after the relationship with the triad broke up, right? Um, at the t- like while I was involved with the woman and her husband, I also had another partner and a, I guess they call them comets, someone who comes in and out of, you know, like because she didn't live in Tucson full time. Sure, right. And uh, so the, the, the triad broke up and I started, I was dating an, another woman and although she knew I was polyamorous and, and after a couple of dates, she was like, you know, I don't think I can handle this. And I said, okay, I respect that. You know, this is my situation. 
And then she's like, wait, like a, a week passed and she called me up again and she's like, I don't want to say no to something out of ignorance and fear. So I'm willing to, to date you while you're poly, you know, polyamorous and all that, but can we do it day by day? And I says, that's how I do it, <laughs> you know, so fine. And we did that. And then um, the relationships broke up and she was like, can we be monogamous for a while? And I was like, yeah. Um, and, she, and, and she actually, when she, her proposal was, can we, be, can we be monogamous and keep polyamory on the table? I'm not saying no, but like, I, I think what she wanted was a sense of some kind of security, right? right? And I said, fine. And that was like in August. By December, she was like, I'm ready to open it up. And we did. You know, and, and it was funny because, of course, what do you think happened? She was like hellfire for the first couple of months, you know, Ooh. like two or three dates a day. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll go, you know. And now she's actually in a, in a fairly committed relationship. But, I, but she told the guy that she's with that because she's pregnant now and they're going to have a baby, that she doesn't want the polyamorous to be off the table. Like right, right now they're like doing this, going to have the baby soon. But at some point in the future, she wants to have the open relationship because the experience was pretty good. Right. Me, you know? Now when things open back up, did you find it challenging? Or no. were you like, all no. right, yes, yeah. we're back in it. Yeah, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. It might've been helped because when we first did that, my comet happened to come in town. <laughs> right. So I had, you know, I had something for a, a couple of days. Sure, sure. But I sure. never like, you know, uh, at that time, besides this woman I was dating, who's now pregnant with someone, um, my comet was the only other person that I was seeing. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, there might have been weeks where I wasn't really dating anybody else but her. Right. And But it was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what Again, kind of what I realized is I, um, the onus of being someone's only was worse than, like... Um, only retrospected, I see that, was worse energetically than having a partner who is like out on dates with, you know, a lot of other people. And I might have been home or, you know, going out to a movie with a, with a bunch of guys or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, what you said about like learning things that are that about polyamory that are really helpful to monogamy, like that, that's got to be one of those things, like that sort of autonomy and that res- like trying to preserve and respect each other's differences and a really big one for me was don't it, one person doesn't have to carry all your dreams all mm-hmm. your daydreams all your stresses <laughs> all like all of you because i don't think anybody's gonna love every single part of another person i think mm-hmm. there's just naturally we're gonna grade on each other and mm-hmm save different parts of ourselves for other people and once that becomes a th- threatened then then i like i've been in those relationships where i'm like i don't even know who i am anymore and yeah. once we break up i'm like oh my god all these parts of myself that i miss so much i'm never gonna lose those again mm-hmm. when i get into my next relationship but then mm-hmm. the next one enhances different parts yeah. of you yeah if you if, if someone is the only then if if you lose them then what are you you know like and that's what happened when monica and i broke up it was like i looked around and i realized i hadn't really nourished other relationships in tucson you know i travel teach a lot so like she was bearing a lot of the emotional labor and relationship labor like almost all the people that i was involved or knew in tucson was either a student or a friend through her Mm. right so like 
that's another reason why I, I looked into the polyamorous community because it was like I can't date my students, and uh, you know these are Monica's friends. So like I don't know anybody else in go? Tucson. This yeah. is you know go out and do that and and the so like if someone is that one person, your identity gets so wrapped up in it that it is. It's like well who am I? What am I without her? And so it took some time to start to to see that. You know it's like you know I love film. And music, right? But Monica's not as much into going out to movies or you know, and, and that stuff. So, like, there were times where I saw three or four movies a year. Since we broke up, I'm averaging at least twenty. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a shock to me because I know I know that you and I both share a very yeah. like deep passion for film. So that's not yeah. a lot of movies. No. Four movies in a year. And 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 also when when it's that kind of um, boundedness, it's like you. Well, here, here, one of the things that I also realized afterwards is like I had a friend who's really, really close friend, right? We would go, a, a, a woman, uh, climbing. We would go out to lunch at least once a day, uh, once a week rather. Tucson uh, has this like Taco Tuesday and we'd go out, right? And other people thought that we were having an affair or something. It was like, we've, like we hug goodbye and hello, but we've never kissed. It's not that at all, right? Yeah. But like there was a deep love. And so it was like, Oh, polyamory includes that too. It's not necessarily sexual. Like you can have romantic that's not sexual. You can have sexual that's not romantic. You can, you know, like all these different kinds of permutations. Mm -hmm. And it was like that. And I realized it's interesting, you know, like when we part, she gets on her bike and goes home. It's like so long, right? But in my past, in my history, if we had started having sex, then it's like, let me drive you home which is a subtle kind of possessiveness and all that stuff that mm. I saw as a pattern throughout my whole life. I was like, and what I would have told myself is that I just care for her so much that I've got it. But I, like, I couldn't care for her anymore, right? And I was like, it's so subtle. So like that becomes a kind of conscious thing where I started to like, in, you know, even with people that I was really involved with even and sexually and all that, of recognizing that autonomy because I don't ever want to go back to that. Yeah. Mm. How much of your how much of your 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 practice has played a role in your your like newfound discovery in in navigating the world as as someone who identifies as as poly? I love this question because I was I was thinking the same thing we were talking about Tinder. I'm like, how do you swipe mindfully? How do you- <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well. Uh- <laughs> Being in Tucson, if uh, one of the first things that someone's on their profiles is that they they love Jesus as their personal savior, I have nothing against it, you know. But yeah. like, they're probably not. We don't have much in common. Ooh. Or if they, it's like, I've never seen a football game in my life. I can't believe so many women love football, but like they'll like say that they, you know, all these sports in, in their profile and everything else, like or, or guns. So those those are almost automatic, and then after that, it's just, you know, the ones that go right. Usually, it's like music, film, the things that I also really like. Mm. Like, but it doesn't have to be exact, you know. Like, I don't want a carbon copy either. It's like, um, w- well, there's this one woman that we've we've just started to like talk a little bit. We haven't gotten on a date yet, and she. I don't know if she's from New York, but she lived in New York, and she's an artist, fine artist, right? But we overlapped a little bit in the punk scene. 
Whoa. Yeah, so like we had some really great texts and it's like, all right, when I get back from Montreal, we have to go out for lunch, you know? And it's like, I get psyched because it's like, if nothing happens, this is a woman that may become a friend even, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's fine too, you know? That's going to be yeah. the title of your next book. It's uh, Swiping Mindfully. <laughs> I feel like that would be a huge hit. Did you, mm-hmm. did you write the forward to like one of um, Esther Perel's books? No, but she quoted me and that was oh, so she, weird. I yeah. loved that when I saw that. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was really funny because I bought the book and I had no idea, right? So I'm reading it and all of a sudden to read myself quoted... I was like, oh my God. You didn't even know? No. Whoa, that's No, crazy. because they don't have to ask you for permission, sure, permission for that kind of yeah. a thing, you know? It was like, and I was like, how did she get that though? Because it's not in my book. So like, I don't know if it was... Was it an interview or what was the... Where maybe, the maybe it was like an article I wrote for Yoga Journal or I was interviewed or something. Right. Because I know I've said it. I mean, like I recognize me saying it. Yes. I say it lots of times in workshops. But she's never taken a workshop with me, so like it was so weird, you know. Did you ever? Have you ever? Uh, I met her once in Omega. Did you bring it up? The- yeah, and and she said I can't remember where I saw. I thought I read it somewhere, and so it might have been an article. You Crazy. Know? Yeah. Oh, that's so. That's so really. Funny. I remember yeah. Friday when you told me that I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of her work. I know. Me too. I, yeah. I really love her work. She's speaking this year. Uh, last year, I spoke at a at a a conference, a, a death symposium in uh, San Francisco called Endwell and she's one of the keynote speakers there this year. Oh. I'm, I'm sad I'm not uh, I'm sad I was I wasn't invited there this year versus last year. <laughs> Although I met some cool people there last year. But yeah, I saw her speak at South, South by Southwest. You were there. That's right. It was amazing. I was like furiously writing down everything she said. I remember <laughs> when you were talking about that in the <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I think we'll we're, I think we'll meet her someday. Someday. I have a I have a pretty strong feeling about that. Do you, I know you do some, would you say that you do some counseling? Um, I, I refer to it more as like mentoring. Okay. Um, it's practice related, but like you can't separate practice from life. Okay. But if I begin to perceive it as more like therapeutic, I might recommend that they see therapist or something, you know, but the, it's a blurred line between mentoring and counseling, but I certainly hard and fast when it comes to therapy. Yeah. Yeah, you I you I just you just reminded me of this. I'm uh, when we were getting married. Mm-hmm. I think you like helped us with our vows with our uh, with, with our creating a our... an an interfaith um, uh, ceremony. Yeah. yeah, right. Not our vows, no. right? Sorry, but like the, I wrote our vows. You wrote yeah. our vows. That's right. yes. <laughs> and you did a very good job. Thanks. Um, uh, yeah, with the whole ceremony and. I love that. I just finished reading a book called, um, I think it's called Why We Gather. Uh, I can't remember the woman's first name is Priya. I can't remember her last name, but it's about intent. It's about creating gatherings with intention. Mm. And it blew my mind. Like I haven't, I read that book basically in one sitting. Um, I couldn't put it down. And it just, it just made me think about, yeah, our wedding, Jeremy and, and your input and, and how intentional it was and how like, it wasn't just nothing was a given. It was mm-hmm. every everything was considered, and in terms of its purpose. And Priya Parker yeah. is Priya her Parker. name. Yeah. The art of gathering: oh, how cool. we meet and why it matters. Yeah, see, and that that really kind of pivots with two two things that are really important with for me is is community and intentional community in particular, and then the idea of 
ritual or community mm. kind of stuff. You know, it's like I always tell couples that um, I'm doing a wedding ceremony or a commitment ceremony that most of the time, I mean, like, you know, from especially from the Zen perspective, if you're already not married in your hearts, this ceremony is not going to do it because mm. we don't believe in magic, right? Um, the ceremony is making the invisible visible, right? So what exists between you two, we're making visible to all the people who are witnessing it, and it's them who are making this marriage. So then I always tell the, quote, audience that you're not passive. It's like it's you being here that makes it what it is, you know? So pay attention, and that's mm-hmm. why I often ring the bell of mindfulness right before the vows to make sure that people are really giving that, you know? And and it's why I'm also, I often talk about like, you know, as you know, I'm a card-carrying member of the Skeptic Society. I am so not into the woo, right? Which puts me as an outlier in the yoga Buddhist community in many ways, but it's like, I still refer to myself as religious. Ironically, I say, I'm not spiritual, I'm religious because I don't believe in spirits, right? Mm. The original meaning of religion is to connect. Religio means to connect or to bind. It's like almost like a cognate of what yoga is, right? So what is, you know, what it is, is it's an opportunity to connect with our own experience, other people, community, nature. You know, we're, we're our, we are one. We're not just a part of nature. We are nature right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like I, I, I think of what I do is, very religious in that sense, but it, it's what, what has gotten corrupted is we think of religion as like a creed that you have to believe th- certain things, and that's not at all how I mean it. So the the ritual for me is the communal aspect is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, we're social animals, you know, and I think um, I get why some people reject it because maybe they've had really oppressive stuff. Like you know, I grew up in a thankfully not so oppressive Roman Catholic family because my mom divorced and, but like she was kicked out of the church back then, you know? Uh, so I wasn't really oppressed by it, but I know people who have. And so I understand it, but it's almost like throwing out the baby with the bathwater in that situation. It's like, can we create a ritual that speaks for us, you know? And that's why I don't have a template for the wedding. It's like every wedding I've ever done, there's pieces that overlap and all that, but it's, it's, I always think of it as kind of a a collaborative creation, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, those our our wedding was very much like that. Yeah, without knowing ve- all of that. That's right. That <laughs> you yeah. just said. It was very much about everyone there. Well, well that was rule that was not rule number 1, but when Tara, my sister was planning it, she was like, "Who do you want to invite?" I said, "Everyone." Every single we've person met we know. Ever? Yeah. yeah. She was like Okay, it's going to be a big catering bill. <laughs> I mean, you invite everybody, and then, you know, some of them come, some of them don't. Nobody's excluded. Hmm. There were so many people there that didn't know each other and and have then, since then, become extraordinarily close friends. Yeah. Which is really cool. Couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah. There. Where? What else can we mine for? Like, I, like I have all these... I, I think of you as very wise, Frank. So oh. you're sitting here. I'm like, well, we have to talk about like, what is love? And how do you know when you're in love? And like all the questions that I can't get answers to on Google. But What are your thoughts on love? My, I, I feel pretty strongly that love is very much a choice that that is decided between two people. Hmm. I, I don't I don't I don't subscribe to the idea that love is um, 
that there's one true love out there. Of oh, I don't, course. I don't subscribe to the, like there's only one true love. Yeah. Um, um, but, but like, like out of the 7 million people, you know, like I remember actually even Monica and I talking about this. It's like, you know, there's when, when we fell in love, it's like, there's a lot of projection that people do, you know? And, um, so sometimes people will say like, you know, you're projecting, you're idealizing, but like, there's also the truth, like you idealize this person and not that. So what's that about? You Mm -hmm. know, I think there's, you know, like I'm learning more and more through my life. It's like anytime there's a binary, that's probably not true. Mm. (laughs) You know, um, I, I don't think, I certainly don't think there's only one. I don't believe in the idea of a soulmate. It actually says so on my profile. It's like, I'm not looking for the one. I'm not looking for a soulmate. Because like, or, or what's the other phrase that just makes me cringe? I'm going to offend people. <laughs> but like, uh, partner in crime. I'm not looking yeah, for any of that. Right. You know? Um, I'm looking for someone who we can laugh together, who we are turned on by each other's mind and body. You know, like Nick Cave has a song where he sings, you turn me on like a light bulb, you turn me on like a, an atom bomb, but he goes like, you turn me on like an idea. Mm. And that there's, there's a real eroticism around that. I don't like the term sapiosexual personally, but like for myself, but that has to be there for me as well, you know? And th- all of that maybe adds up to chemistry. So I have this feeling for this person and not that person but it's like um but then once there's that it's like it's really like all right my choice to pursue this and right. what i want to create with this you know yeah and that's i think that's where i that's that choice that's where i like feel mm-hmm. pretty strongly about that it's it's you know you can have these different types of connections but ultimately it comes down to the choice of going all right is this something that is this something that I personally want to continue to explore? Mm-hmm. Is this something that I, I feel like you want to explore with me? And yeah. if we're in agreement here, then let's do this together. And, you know, like for you and I, man, I'll tell you right now, there have been times in our relationship where I've in my head gone, if this is what it was like in the beginning, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. But again, it's a choice that we've decided to continue through whatever shit we've come up against. And then we make it through to the other side. And it's like, well, I'm glad we made that choice together. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. When you were saying that, I was thinking about how, you know, people, some people will be like, um, I, I, I want someone to grow old with or I want to be together forever. And uh, my brain is always like, I'm not going to agree to that because you never know yeah. what's going to yeah. happen. But mm. you can't say that to someone who's looking you in the face and going, do you, do you want to do this like mm. forever? Because mm-hmm. there's got, there's probably a more tactful way of me being like, well, you know, nothing is certain. So mm. we'll, but we're we'll sold keep choosing. That, we're sold that bill of goods though. You know, it's yeah. like yeah. when, when, um, you know, when I got the diagnosis for prostate cancer and went in for the biopsy, all of a sudden, I was like, you know, every guy there had a wife or a partner except me. And that was like, I don't know, it's like, and so I wrote in a blog piece about it. It was like, thankfully, I do have a practice that it took me, and even with a practice of 40 some odd years, it took me at least a week or so 
to see through it. This is just, you know, these are thoughts. I don't have to believe every thought, but the thoughts were like, you know, you know, you thought Monica was going to be there. You thought you were going to have somebody and all that. And she was there in her way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that mindset was denying that because she wasn't there the way I thought she'd be or I wanted her to be, you know. And I was like, this is years after we've divorced and it still it will come up triggered by that, you know. And it's like, wow, it's so deeply embedded in us that we, you know, you're a failure if you don't, yeah. you know. I, I worry about that sometimes with like my little sisters and they don't listen to this so I can say this, but um, that they, sometimes I feel like they're holding out for this like magic idea of, of relationships and I feel like, you know, I had a really serious relationship before Jeremy and then Jeremy and I have had a long relationship and it, you know, when it started it was like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like and then shit got hard and and challenging and now it's you know now it's great and we go through waves and and such but that that feeling when it's not good being like well maybe i'm not supposed to be in this relationship Mm -hmm. is such a racket and i i recognize in myself that i'm a i'm a like a distancer i'll be like well then i just won't let make myself available if it's gonna hurt um but but yeah it's a good it's a good point that they're we're sold a particular packaged idea that yeah. we're all trying to be like, why doesn't my life look like that? Mm. What do I need to do differently? Maybe I haven't found the right one. Mm. Maybe I should leave my husband for this new partner that's giving me all these, all the feelings. Yeah, and how to know when and what, you know? It's like um, when, when I, I did leave a marriage for Monica and um, I didn't stop loving her, but like there was something that I really felt was there that needed to be pursued, you know? And, you know, I'm, I'm not one to say, well, the, the, the purpose was this and all that, but, like, my daughter is, like, this great gift because I have an older daughter, but I was 18 years old when she was born. And, I, you know, I've, I've actually have, have apologized to her because I was, like, I was 18, I was a kid. I was not there, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Even when I was there, I was not there. And so as an older dad this experience has been amazing, you know? And what's wild is my grandson is only nine months younger than Giovanna, so my older daughter and I are actually now sharing, raising kids together, and, like, she's brilliant. She's a sex educator in New York, so, like, she's been a great resource for me to, like, introduce Giovanna to, like, you know, things about, like, periods and puberty before she hits it so she's not totally freaked and all that. And, And it's, like, it's a great relationship to have you know and um and then you know then monica and i broke up and it's like that was really like a whole nother layer of having to realize so much about things like i don't think anybody who knows me outside of a romantic relationship would have ever thought that i was codependent but i was like incredibly codependent and i've had to like really work a lot with that you know it's like holy shit you know this is would you get married again? Would I? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, actually, I think I could imagine if even if I got married, that I think I would like to have a situation where we had separate living quarters. Oh yeah, Brody's all I, about that shit. I, you know, it's weird because like even now, sometimes like I miss 
the marriage. It's like, I, Monica and I were even talking about this recently. It's like, <laughs> I don't really specifically want Monica back, but like the marriage had aspects of it that I really liked. And, you know, it does really hurt every time I drop Giovanna off, you know, because I remember, you know, crazily, despite all my Buddhist preparation, telling Monica I did not want to have a kid unless we were pretty sure we were going to be together because I didn't want to go through the same thing I did with my older daughter, you know? Mm. And when she said she wanted to leave, I was like, fuck, you know? Mm. Uh, and, you know, I have Giovanna at least 50% of the time, you know? And it's after all these years, so she's nine now, we broke up when she was five, it still hurts when I drop her off and I say, I'll see you in three days or I'll see you in four days. And I'm only like 10 blocks away. It's like, why does this have to be, you know? Mm. Um, but like, I'm not gonna have a kid with anybody else now. So like, if we did get married, it's like, let's have separate domiciles, you know? I, I hear that's a, there's a bit of a trend starting with that. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're younger married couples are doing that well it's funny you brought that up like yeah. early early before on we got married well i love having sleepovers but like mm. right? you know every single night i know Where's, <laughs> there's nothing yeah. special about that i mean it's special but i remember when you brought that up i was like you're fucking crazy and i'm hurt that yeah, you, you would even mention the, i was the notion of that already too weird for your family and then, yeah and then <laughs> and now today i'm like christ i cannot wait like i'm I know it. I know in the next like two years, I'm going to be, be able to afford to build my own house and it's going to be my own house. It's just going to be my own little tiny home. And you just don't, for me. you don't have to worry about leaving dishes on the counter That's and right. somebody's going to, That's right. I can you do my just own. do whatever you want. If the mess is the mess, it's my mess and my only, only my mess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this I is, wait. I think there's something really to that because, you know, Esther Perel talks about having privacy and, having your own life and I you know I, I just think that the I like the little bit of mystery as mm -hmm. well like if I'm getting dressed if we're going out and I get and I'm getting dressed up and you walk into the bathroom to like brush your teeth I am furious mm. because getting dressed up is a part of like your what, ritual my ritual yeah. and I don't want you watching me and revealing it yeah. right, before the time exactly I totally get it and that's Thanks. you know, Esther you know you talks do that to about. me though too, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like Esther Perel talks about, like we've got these two conflicting needs of intimacy and and mystery, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. or or intimacy rather, and and autonomy. Yeah. And I think you know what's been great about the the you know the situation now is that it's a choice when a partner sleeps over. Right now, actually, I'm going through the driest spell of my whole life. I don't think I've had sex since April. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. April, yeah. That's a, that's that's a, a long time. Yeah. And then, you know, what, what? it's been compounded because part of the prostate cancer therapy is you take this shot that suppresses testosterone. Right. So I haven't even jerked off except for twice since April. Whoa. Yeah. We didn't even get into that. Like, <laughs> I, you know, and, and I, I mean, maybe we save that for the other podcast, but, uh, you, you just recently got diagnosed with yeah, in April. cancer. Uh, uh, how are you? How, like, what, where, what is your prognosis? Um, it's good. Um, because when, um, it was found, it was found because my PSA 
which is, uh, you know, prostate specific something. I forget what the A stands for. But our prostates, PSA in public service announcement here, yeah. part of this is, you know, however old you are, right? When I was like 20s, 30s, you know, like having lots of sex and everything else, ironically, the more you ejaculate, the better it is for your prostate health. So like all the things that it said about prostate health, I was like, well, I'm jerking off or, or having sex, like, you know, 20 plus times a month and things like that, mm-hmm. right? And yet here I am, I still have cancer, right? And the PSA is something that the prostate makes to keep the semen from clumping together. Prostate-specific antigen. Antigen, mm-hmm. thank you. And so like, it keeps the semen from being clumpy and sticky, right? And um, there's a PSA test, and I am now like telling every man that I know, once you're in your 40s or so, late 40s by the, for sure, to get at least one PSA to get a, a baseline, mm-hmm. right? And because I've been doing that, and that's what caught it, because uh, as you get older, the PSA goes up anyway, because the prostate grows. I, I joke that like, if there was any need for evidence that we are not intelligently designed, it's the fact that the urethra goes right through the prostate. So whenever you read that a prostate is about uh, walnut shape, that's like if you're 20 or 30 years old, but it gets bigger and bigger. By the time you're, you're 60, it's probably as big as a peach, you know, it's right. like it's bigger. So, and it squeezes the urethra. So that's why, you know, I can remember when I was 24 and it sounded like a racehorse was peeing, you know, and as I got older, it got weaker and weaker. Oh, yeah. You know, or ejaculation. I remember one time getting a hand job and the <laughs> got hit in our chins, you know. Right. And, and then by the time you're like 50 or 60, it kind of dribbles out, you know. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, so the PSA is increasing as you get older. But what happened with me is they saw a big jump in one year. And that's a red flag. Oh. It went like from four, four to six, eight. And so then they gave the they gave me a biopsy, and it turned out that it was cancerous. Um, my staging originally was what they call unfavorable intermediate, and then it doesn't sound good. No, because it's it can be kind of aggressive. And then they sent the slides to Johns Hopkins for a second opinion from the pathologist, and they made it favorable intermediate. So like, there's like you can have a in scores six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. Obviously, the higher it is, the worse it is. Right. I was a seven, but you could be seven four plus three or three plus four. And so, one said I was four plus three. That's bad. Three plus four, not as bad. Okay. Right? Okay. And all that to say that you know, as certain as you can be, because microcells could have left. Um, they caught it when it was still contained in the prostate. And the two options for men are either to get it removed or radiation. Uh, I did not want to live a life of incontinence and almost certainly ED. With radiation, that's much less likely to happen, right? Uh, So I chose radiation. Um, And both of them have the same 15-year, like, success, which is, like, 99%. Okay. So, Okay. So I feel confident that uh, we got it in time and how far out are you from like your next set of scans where they go um, all right you're you're looking pretty good yeah. in in two months they'll do a test but the hormone deprivation therapy has lingering effects my last shot was 
two weeks ago. Right. And that was a month dose, but even at the end of the month, it'll like linger. So like the true test will be six months out. Okay. And then we'll know. And, and if the PSA is almost unreadable and my testosterone is back and I'm horny, <laughs> yeah. then we know it worked. Wow. Yeah. Is the prostate, I don't know this, is the prostate responsible for testosterone? Like if you had removed no. it. So if you had removed it and um, yeah, there's the incontinence issue and then with ED is, could you, can that be remedied through administering testosterone? Um, it's not, it's not a lack of testosterone because okay. that's made by, if I'm correct, <laughs> I could be a little wrong, but I think it's your testicles, your testes. Oh, okay. Right? Well, that makes sense. So like that's why if you get castrated, Mm-hmm. Then you know. Then you there's no, yeah, no more. Testo- yeah, got it. Um, it's, I would I would guess yeah. that it's more so due to the nerves that are affected after the invasive yeah. surgery that right. would. would uh, yeah. Now they're trying. They, they have this robotic guided surgery, right? And if it's pretty clear that it's contained in the prostate, and you have a really good surgeon, it's called nerve sparing surgery. Oh yeah, okay. But uh, once they're in there, if they see that the cancer's left, they you know they're going to cut it. Mm. Right with the radiation, the first half of your your you have forty four treatments. You got to go shit. Monday through Friday for eight weeks. Wow! And uh, the first twenty five treatments, they actually radiate a little bit of the whole pelvis just in case it got into the lymph nodes or a little bit outside the capsule. Right. And then it's amazing technology because then after that they can narrow the radiation beam just to the size of the prostate. Wow! Yeah. Do you, maybe this is too woo, but with that area being, well, it's a pretty personal area and it's very rich in terms of like, I don't know about, about you, but like my emotional life, like I, that's where I feel it. I feel like my low abdomen responds with, to stress, to, to arousal, obviously, but it just, it feels like it carries a lot. Do you feel like your relationship to your body has changed or, or Hmm. any sort of lingering feelings of, or yeah, of like, is it harder to ground? Is it harder to be creative? Um, no, I won't say that. What's really interesting though is, um, having been a very sexual person all my life, uh, as I got older, um, I was using like Cialis, like the lowest dose, five milligrams. And, you know, one one of those pills lasts me three days, so I would only take it as needed and, and all that. Um, but to get to that point, it took me a couple of years to recognize that I probably would be helped by doing that because my identity was so wrapped up in like, and one of my friends once called me the Italian stallion, you know, like, oh my God, you know, like we get so identified with our penises sometimes, mm. right? And so maybe because I've had that experience, then this happening... It wasn't as, it, it wasn't at all like what I saw some of the other men really dealing with in terms of like their ego and self-identity, right? Because I'd already kind of gone through it a little bit. Got it. And um, in fact, you know, it's funny because I remember going up to the pharmacist and when I saw it was a woman walking out because the first time I ever had a prescription for Cialis, I just like, I, I want to I give it to a guy. I want to give it to a guy. And now it's like, uh, yeah. When I went in to get this, the space ore, which is that thing that the gel that separates the, uh, it was like, or even the biopsy, it was like two young girls, mm-hmm. right? We're in the room with the urologist, you know, and um, 
and I was just like, I was actually making quips. Like the, the, the urologist has got this thing up my butt to, you know, for, for um, taking pictures, sonogram and all that. Yeah. And uh, he goes, you're doing okay. You're doing really well, you know? And I said, I guess I bet you say that to all the guys. And like the girls are like cracking up, you know? Yeah, right. And uh, I said, it takes a plate or no one and all that. And they're like laughing. I was like, I can't believe this. These are like young girls. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. you know? And then, like my my radiologist is a female doctor too, and <laughs> the like after a couple of weeks of um, radiation and like the hormone stuff and not feeling sexual, I just like I want to see if this still works though. So I masturbated, and I was like, whoa! I didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Through radiation, you get a dry ejaculation. What? Whoa! Yeah, that's does trippy. It, does it come out like dust? <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, I, I thought of you because you say that you have very little liquid coming out. Oh, yeah, no, I get like... Like a uh, drop or two or something? I, yeah, it's like, uh, it looks like like coconut water and like it's really not much. Unless I, and like, if I went like two weeks without jerking off, it would be like, uh, it would be like coconut water coming out of like one of those little small miniature uh, um, water guns you get at like the dollar store. <laughs> so a very small stream and it would go like... Uh, like a little spritz. Yeah. Well, before radiation, you know, I had the the typical love and spoonful. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I jerked off, and it was like this, just like it just went. It would barely wet my undies. Yeah. You know. Right, yeah. It's like holy shit. So I asked, you know, my radiologist, was like, tell me about this like dry ejaculation. She was like, yeah, um, you know, that might be permanent. You might get a little bit back. It'll never be the way it used to be. And yeah. I was like. I mean, it still feels good. Yeah, yeah totally. You know, um, I, I hear that some people, it might actually become painful ejaculation after the radiation, so I'm, oh, I feel Jesus. like I'm lucky. I had very little of the side effects that are possible. Right. You know, but uh, I was like, well, I have to make a note of that because if I ever if I ever get to have oral sex and someone gives yeah. me a blowjob, I want to give her a warning that, like, nothing's going to come out, no, so don't worry. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, yeah, because I've been in that scenario. <laughs> I've had that story. Yeah, yeah, I've been in that scenario where literally, literally as I came... She, she was giving me a hand job and she said out loud, where's the cum? <laughs> and I laughed so hard. I was like, uh, I probably jerked off earlier that day. And so I was like, hey, there definitely ain't nothing coming out, you know? Where's the cum? Mm-hmm. She, thought I, she thought I was faking an orgasm. I, I've had I've had multiple people think I've faked an orgasm because of my lack of... Uh, well, the thing is, though, the, the orgasm and ejaculation are not really synonymous. No. You know, like I've I've had multiple orgasms yeah. and then an ejaculation, yeah. right? Mm. So it is, you know, be clear about that. But like, oh my god, it's like, it was so funny. You know, the weirdest thing is after a biopsy, there's blood in your ejaculation. Oh fuck! And I I, I was like, you know, I love horror movies, right? Yeah, so yeah. I was like like they said to wait a few days before having sex. I think I waited like three days and I jerk off and this blood oozes out. Oh my God, I was like, like a lot oh, of it? I, like I was like, oh, I wish I had videotaped this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know who I'd show it to, <laughs> but it was yes. fucking wild. Oh. That's, so, that's so crazy. I would, I would definitely go into a bit of a panic, I think, if that happened. I was like, well, God, if I do get a blowjob, I'm definitely going to like do it with a condom because I don't want to go. Just, poor woman yeah, have sure. like a mouthful of blood. A red oh, co- yeah, God, just like, that's a, true. A red condom. <laughs> Good that. point. Yeah. That would be off-putting. Uh, man, this is, I, this is so great. I love this. This is... Um, and, and, and I do... I want to say this now. I could save this for after, but I just want to 
put it out there that um, uh, it we travel around so much with this podcast, but also with Sick Boy, and, and I know we'll cross paths again. And I really would love to have you on on the other podcast because I think that, uh, like Brady said, like you are, you really are like we look up to you so much and and I think we you know we both feel like you are a very wise person you've mm-hmm. taught me so much you've taught us both so much and and to to have an opportunity to like actually just sit down and and have a you know an over one hour conversation to dive mm-hmm. deep into love and and relationships and and everything um, is just I feel so grateful for that so oh, me too I mean I like I said I've I love you two, both, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I think I got really used to seeing you at every training. And when that stopped, it was like, fuck, when am I going to see them? Yeah. You know? yeah. So like, I'm always like putting out like to people like, you know, maybe I can, if I, if I get a workshop at the Halifax studio, yeah, I could write yeah. off the whole trip. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. you know, but, um, and, and then also I, I'm going to let people who organize it know it's probably too late for this April, but I think I've, emailed you that Tucson this is going to be the third one we're doing this Southwest Love Fest um, oh yeah and it, it was organized by people in the one of the poly communities it's called um, we refer to it as Linifer it's love is not a finite resource and um, they bring in guest speakers from all over cool and uh this is gonna be the third one and it's been growing like exponentially amazing sounds fun it'll be really i was like this would be a great venue for you to do a live show yeah yeah totally and probably bang out some interviews too yeah yeah especially uh especially considering that tucson has such a booming poly community yeah Mm -hmm. like there's literally at least three or four uh therapists counselors in the group who specialize in like poly oh, cool. uh, therapy and all. Yeah. It's really cool. I've always wanted to go to Tucson as well. Never. I don't think I've actually ever. Well, been. I've got an Airbnb. I can just block out the dates for you. I won't charge you, but like right. I block it out. You have your privacy. All right. Deal. That mm-hmm. sounds good. Cool. Uh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad we were able to squeeze this in before the yeah. party. Yeah. And, uh, and as always, it's just such a pleasure to see you. And same here. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We'll be back next week, as we always are, with another fantastic and interesting episode. Uh, But in the meantime, it would mean the world to us if you went over to Apple Podcasts and you hit the uh, rating and review button and and the subscribe button and left a little little thought there because it, it, uh, it helps us stay up on the iTunes charts there and more people can hear conversations like this one, which I think is a pretty important conversation to hear. Um, and if you, if you want to help us out, um, in other ways, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash Uh, actually, you know, like part, part of the reason why we're able to come to Montreal and talk to people and go to Ottawa and, and talk to people is because of our, our lovely patrons. So, uh, if you have already supported us, we, we love you and we thank you. And if, and if you've been thinking about supporting us, well, we love you and we thank you for thinking about it. And we would thank you even more if you just committed to it. <laughs> Be in a long-term committed relationship with yeah, us. Yeah, don't be afraid of commitment. <laughs> you can reach out to us uh, through our website and through our email, turnmeonpodcast at gmail.com, turnmeonpodcast.com. If you want to be a guest on the show or if you have a question you'd like us to answer, we'd be happy to take a stab at it. Uh, that is it for this week. It sure is. Until next week. Go fuck yourself. <laughs>
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.